The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When they take you before synagogues and before rulers and authorities, do not worry about how or what your defense will be or about what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that moment what you should say. The Gospel of the Lord. I'll start kind of with the end and then we'll get back to the middle. So um, the end of the gospel today, one of the things that I think is so important that we do uh, in our prayer is that, especially when we're praying with, uh, with other people, is I think uh, to really ask for the intercession of the Holy Spirit, to ask for the Holy Spirit to sort of remain with us and work through us. And kind of as, as Jesus is saying here too, it's just like there's no anxiety if the Holy Spirit is with us, uh, so much so that we end up not relying so much on what we can say, like with our own abilities and knowledge and, and education or whatever that might be. But, but the Lord himself actually gives us the words uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's so much easier, <laughs> you know. It, it's, so, it's so hard because we can become very, very reliant on um, what we know and how we can speak and, and, and any of our eloquence or whatever it is. You know, which one of us here has not felt the feeling like, I just want to have the right thing to say, whether that's to your own children or to somebody else uh, out in the world. Um, but to really ask the Holy Spirit to be with you so that it isn't so much about our, our own words, but, but it's truly about the words that, that God can give us to, to speak through. So we effectively become his instrument in that way. Uh, one thing I wanted to um, mention today is that you know, here and there I've mentioned the catechism a little bit, and, and I mentioned sort of the helpful hint that in the catechism, even when you don't have time, if you look in the catechism, there's a section at the back of each topic that says, in brief. And it's really helpful sometimes that if you're looking for an answer, you know, that's a little bit of a quick reference, that you know that that section's there. Well, today I was, I was speaking with a, a parishioner not too long ago about St. Thomas Aquinas. Now, when I first read St. Thomas Aquinas, I was as confused as maybe the rest of you, if you've ever read St. Thomas Aquinas. And, and one of probably the greatest insults in history is that his Summa Theologia was written, his purpose for writing it was for beginners, was for beginners so that they could understand the faith. And yet you read it now and you're like, this is for beginners, you know? And so, so St. Thomas was sort of on this other level, but because I studied at St. Thomas Aquinas University uh, in Rome for my entire theology, I had to read him so much that I finally started to understand it after a while. And so the Summa Theologia is written in a very structured way um, where St. Thomas starts with a question and then he has like, these objections to what the question might be and then he'll go to a section that's like replies to the objections and then there's another section that's I answer that in much the much the same way that the catechism has in brief 
that gives you the quick answer, if you just go to, I answer that with St. Thomas, it, that's probably where you're looking for your answer. And so, so know that about him. But I mean, it's truly amazing the amount of topics that St. Thomas really covered. But one of these topics is it says, this is article one. And so whether the sin against the Holy Ghost is the same as the sin committed through certain malice. So Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, um, the same, just, just different terms we used time ago. So if we go to, I answer that, this is what he says, and it's a really great thing. So he gives you multiple interpretations, because remember, sometimes we don't, like with 100% you know, knowledge, we don't exactly know every aspect of the scripture and its interpretation, but he gives, and, and it's the second one that I would say we'd probably focus on, but this is a really just interesting thing that he says. He says, I answer that. Three meanings have been given to the sin against the Holy Ghost. For the earlier doctors, you know, Athanasius and Hilary and Ambrose and Jerome and Chrysostom, so many other early church fathers that wrote about it, said that the sin against the Holy Ghost, literally to utter a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, whether by Holy Spirit we understand the essential name applicable to the whole Trinity, each person of which is the Spirit and is holy. So he's talking about the Trinity and them being one, but you know, but, but of course the, the, the Holy Spirit being one aspect of the persons of the Trinity. Um, let me see. Um, okay, so the Holy Ghost is distinct from the blasphemy against the Son of Man. For Christ did certain things in respect of his human nature by eating, drinking, and such like actions, while he did others in respect of his Godhead by casting out devils, raising the dead, and the like, which things he did both by the power of his own Godhead and by the operation of the Holy Ghost. So he's like, in unity with the Trinity, Jesus does these things, but it's by the power of God that he would cast out demons and different things like that. Um, and so now the Jews began by speaking blasphemy against the Son of Man when they said that he was a glutton, a wine drinker, and a friend of publicans. But afterwards... They blaspheme against the Holy Spirit when they ascribe to the prince of devils those works which Christ did by the power of his own divine nature and by the operation of the Holy Ghost. So that's kind of like one idea or interpretation was that like even in that moment where they said, oh, he casts out, you know, demons by the prince of demons, but, but we know he was doing so by the power of God. They were saying that in that way, the religious leaders of the day were sort of blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. That's one idea or interpretation. But I actually think that the, the, this is sort of one of the classical one that's a lot more helpful for, for what we find in the gospel is this one by St. Augustine. And so he said, Augustine, however, says that blasphemy or sin against the Holy Ghost is final impenitence when namely a man perseveres in mortal sin until death and that it is not confined to utterance by the word of mouth but extends to the words in thoughts and deed, not only to one one word only, but to many. And so he's saying this is the person that does not even believe in forgiveness. And in all the way to their death, um, they're impenitent because they believe that they cannot be forgiven. So in a, in a sense, the unforgivable sin is believing that you're unforgivable. That's kind of the biggest thing um, that he's talking about there. And so he kind of goes on to this and describes a lot more um, but but that's kind of the ultimate the ultimate one there without having to read it too much because like I said you can see just by the word structure it gets like really confusing sometimes the way St. Thomas can write 
But when we see that writing there, that there's no, you know, that the only unforgivable sin is the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. When you really think about our free will, it's those that persevere unto their very death that don't believe that God has the power to forgive them. If you don't believe that the Lord can forgive you, you can't be a recipient, recipient of his grace because you persevere to the very end, not believing in the absolute goodness of God, his, his absolute power to forgive sins, and the authority that he's given the church to forgive sins. And so that's, that's the important thing. And, and you know, I think we've met people like this in our life too, where some people think that they've done so many things that are so bad that they might be an unforgivable person. It's really important and a responsibility for us that are Catholics that we convince them that that's not the truth. Because somebody that, that realizes that they actually are forgivable, even if they've had terrible sins in their life, um, that person can actually be saved. But, but if they persevere, believing that they're, they're an unforgivable individual, you can't be saved if you reject the goodness of God in, in, the, in the aspect that, um, that he can forgive all of things for those that are contrite and those that approach him. And so if you ever hear somebody say that, like, oh, you know, there's, you'll hear it in many ways, there's no hope for me. Um, I've done too many things wrong. Oh, you know, the Lord, the Lord can never love somebody like me. Um, in that moment, you know, in some way, grab a hold of that person, grab a hold of their mind and their attention and say, that is not true. You can be forgiven. The Lord's mercy, the, the, the depth and the breadth of his mercy is so wide that if you really approach him and you ask forgiveness of your sins, if you're truly sorry, he can really do it. Um, uh, but I think that that's a, that's a horrible, can you imagine the feeling of that, to be going through your life thinking that you're an unforg unforgivable person? Um, and, and so that, that's all of our responsibility out there today. So that if anybody utters words like that, that we convince them otherwise, we convince them of the goodness of the Lord. Even if we can't quite convince them of the church sometimes, we convince them of the Lord's goodness. God bless you all.